Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. And Lord Jesus, we come to you because you are the one who will receive us. And God, we come to you because you are the one who will meet our needs uh, as we come to you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would indeed bless us. I pray that you would equip us today. And Jesus, I pray that we would hear from your word so that we can become uh, the men and women of God that you have created us to be. Bless us, Jesus, so that we can be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. One constant struggle in the Christian life, at least as far as the maturity I have attained, is a fight between grace and law, between gospel and obedience. Now, last week we touched on the subject by alluding to the reality of the struggle we have to understand our part in the process of sanctification and God's part in the process of our sanctification. We wanted to find out between God working through us and you and I being obedient to the commands that he calls us to obey. Now this tension indeed has been felt throughout the history of the church as a whole, where we have struggled to maintain a distinction between the reality of justification and sanctification. We've mentioned this before. Justification is the one-time event of God declaring or speaking righteousness into our account. Uh, most of the scripture authors speak of this in a legal setting and in, in, as a judicial act that God does for us. And justification must not be confused with sanctification. Justification, as I said, is completely done by God and not at all by us, though it is obviously true that we must repent, we confess, we pray, etc., But as far as justification is concerned, as opposed to works that we are doing, initially this repentance, confession, prayer, etc. are all signs that God has indeed already saved us. This is important to get. Because sanctification, on the other hand, is a process in which you and I work with God to grow in Christ's likeness. And this process in which we work with God obviously includes or involves repentance, confession, prayer, etc. Sanctification is this process by which you and I are made more and more like Jesus. Sanctification is a process by which one becomes more and more holy perfect, whole, complete. Sanctification is a process in which you and I become more like Jesus, more and more the men and women he has created us to be. 
Now, last week, when we were doing Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, I emphasized the importance of our part in this deal of sanctification, mostly because that's exactly what Paul was emphasizing in that passage. And I, along with Paul, emphasized that you and I must put off our old habits, our thought patterns, and we must put on new habits, new thought patterns, and we must be renewed in the spirits of our minds. In fact, let me read a portion of what we did last week. In verse 22, Paul writes, We must put off our old self, which belongs to our former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And then we must put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, if you remember towards the end of the sermon last week, I emphasized the reality of this being made new. And we emphasized the fact that that is where the gospel, that's where the good news comes into this process of becoming more like Jesus. If the good news is not a part of our description of this sanctification, of how we become holy, then all we are left is with a self-centered, self-reliant, bad news of moralism. Moralism is something we've talked about before. It is a guilt-ridden, defeated, harsh, legalistic, crushed attitude that destroys the joy of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. My friends, that is hardly good news. And you and I can turn to any number of philosophies and religions around the world to get that kind of burden. But the good news is that God relieves us of the burden of relying on ourselves. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us so that we can then work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Tonight, we're going to continue in Ephesians. And I promise I'll get to the passage, but I want to explain a little bit what we're going to do. I want to outline some very essential passages that speak to this reality of God making us more like Jesus these essential concepts of sanctification. I want to explain the important truths of Scripture so that we can understand what Paul is saying at the end of chapter 4 in the right context so that you and I then don't become the whitewashed tombs that Jesus was constantly warning against in the, the Gospels. Now, having said all that, I admit a bias, a bent that I have, because in general, my default position is to talk about our responsibility in sanctification, and it's something that I need to uh, have a balance of, and that's what I'm trying to do tonight. I want to explain God's part in our becoming like Jesus as well as ours and balance the two. So, having done that, let's get a definition of sanctification. And Wayne Gruden provides a good uh, definition. He calls it a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from our sin 
and like Christ in our actual lives. Now, I want to emphasize something here because there's two components. There's the the balance of the work between God and man, and then there's the distinction between what we could call a negative work. We're getting rid of the sin, the hindrances that keep us from God, and we're also putting on, uh, well, to use Paul's words here, Christ. We are becoming more like Jesus in our actual lives. Because the point of sanctification is to make us more like Jesus. And if we are going to be made more like Jesus, then we can start in no better place than understanding the first point in your notes, and that is that sanctification begins with a work of God. Sanctification solidly must be started by God. Let's look at a couple verses. The first one is in Titus chapter 3, where in verse 4 it says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. I think that's pretty significant and pretty plain. He saves us. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Now, as I said, you just can't get clearer on the subject than the fact that God saves us. And he does so not because of our works, but according to his own mercy. The simple point is that you and I have to realize that we don't earn, we don't do works so that we can be saved, so that we can be justified before the Lord. But we also must realize another important distinction, and that is that our salvation is effected by our repentance, our confession, our prayer, etc. And these realities, confession, uh, repentance, confession, prayer, etc., are the signs of regeneration, the signs of new birth by God that he told us to expect if indeed we were saved by the Lord. And this is the key. God does his work of sanctification in us by his Holy Spirit, as he says right here, by the Spirit of our God. But we also see, oh, we're, we're already at 1 Corinthians. Okay, well, this is the next verse. Um, he says in 1 Corinthians six eleven, he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, it's interesting that Paul uses uh, were in each of these statements. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. Now, this could be a passive, God doing this work in us, and I happen to think that that's also true. But it's also a past tense. These things are already done. And this is one of the many passages in which Paul speaks, not really in a grammatical tense, but in a sense of already but not yet. These things are already done, but they're not quite done. And the reason why Paul is able to speak this way is because God's work in our salvation and his continual work throughout our lives in sanctification is so sure. It's such a 
positive guarantee that he speaks as if it's in the past tense. He says, you were sanctified. You were, uh, all these things have already happened and your heavenly account is already fully righteous. And again, God does this by the spirit of our God. And we know this, we, we further know that God is doing this work and by our reliance on our walking in the Spirit because of what he says in Galatians 5.16 where he says, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul's point here is that when you are walking in the Spirit, when you are doing what the Spirit is calling you to do, you won't be falling into the sin traps that you and I so easily fall into. We won't be tempted by that flavor of sin that Paul, or that Satan, excuse me, not Paul, that Satan continually drifts right in front of us so that we'll bite in it and be caught. My friends, the point today is that God works with you to make you like Christ. And you do this work with him in the process of becoming more like Christ. You do this work by trusting. Now, sanctification begins with God's word. And of course, with his work. Of course, this is not the full story. The second part of the story comes in, and that this process of sanctification, this process of becoming increasingly holy, is a process that continues throughout your life. We see this in part in Romans chapter 6. Thanks be to God, amen, that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient. Obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Go ahead. Is that just one verse? No, one. Eight, there we go. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now, Paul's, Paul's point here is that you have been set free from sin. Now, because this has already happened, live like you have been set free from sin. Live like this freedom is really yours. The heart of this verse is what I'm constantly saying is the heart of Christianity. And that is that we must trust the promises of God for us in Christ. In this case, the promise is that you have already been set free from the sin that holds on to you. You no longer need to be subject to that sin's demand. Now, what's really cool is that you and I get to have the opportunity to choose to trust that promise, to choose that God has already made this for us in the way that you and I and everyone else can see that you are trusting this promise is by the fact that you are, in fact, gaining victory over sin in a progressive, reliable manner. The way that you and I know that we are trusting this promise of God is that we are working. We are living as if it is really true and that we are no longer a slave of sin. And God works in you, works with you to make you like Christ. Therefore, you 
or so now you can work by trusting him. Now, I hope or I expect if you're listening to what I just said, some of you are thinking something along the lines of, wow, oh my goodness, how can anyone live up to that, Pastor Greg? Give me a break. Here's the answer. You can't. You're like, really? I knew that already. But we find out in Philippians chapter 2 that Paul didn't either. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here's a couple of questions to ask regarding this verse. Who's doing the pressing on in this passage? Who is it? We are. Well, Paul is, and by implication, you and me. Who has made me his own? God has made us his own. Now, how long does this process take? Well, evidently longer than Paul it takes more maturity than Paul had achieved by the time that he wrote the book of Philippians. I dare say that's more maturity than I have obtained in this life so far now. My friends, sanctification is a wonderful promise. Because when you fail, not if, when you fail, you can Say, praise Jesus. He will pick me up and he will carry me along in this process. And though my process is not straight up, I can trust Jesus that he will see me through uh, because he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. My friends, God works with you to make you like Jesus. Therefore, you and I can work by trusting his promises. Now, at this point in the discussion on sanctification, we have to begin to differentiate. We need to begin to understand a little bit of what's going on between God and us. And our third point is that sanctification continues in part due to God's work. Now, it's not an accident that I picked to talk about God's work first, because no matter, no matter how we look at it, it is not an equal partnership. God is still the controlling member of the party, of this group. And so his work is absolutely crucial. And we'll begin to see that in Hebrews 13, 20, and 21, where he says, Paul says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. We missed 21. Okay. Equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You can go back, uh, Charles. That's all right. Sorry about that. 
What we get here in Hebrews 13, 20, and 21 is that God gives you everything necessary to do his will. He equips you with everything good that you may do his will. And then he goes on another step and he says, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. God is the major partner in this uh, project of making us like Jesus. He gives us the grace. He works in us everything good. And then he continues in Philippians 2.12. That's where we're at now. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And here I goofed it again. It doesn't say 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Or it's God who works in you to desire to do his will and then to actually do what he wants you to do. Here again, in these two passages, Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 and Philippians 2, 12 and 13, clearly it is God who does the initiating. It is God who does the providing. It is God who does the equipping in this process of sanctification, in our ability to want to and to actually do his good pleasure. But it is equally clear that you and I must work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Here's the point. Here's where the brass tacks come into play. You're going to go home tonight, and somewhere between now and when you finally lay your head down on your pillow, you are very likely to be tempted to some sin. I'm just speaking from experience. You're supposed to laugh at that. Thank you. Appreciate it. You're going to be tempted to some sin. And we all have been around the block. We understand Satan usually tempts us with similar things. He, he doesn't have to keep making this stuff up because we keep falling to the same traps. And at that point, you are going to have a choice. Those of you who have trusted the promises of God for you in Christ, those of you who have been redeemed will, in fact, have a choice to sin or not to sin. You must not just say, God, you know, you let this temptation fall into my lap and I've asked you to get rid of it before and you haven't. So that means you must not care and I'm just going to do it. Don't complain to God that he isn't making you pray or making you read your Bible or making you abstain from coveting. My friends, God gives us the desire to abstain from these sins and he gives us the ability. He gives us what we need. You and I must actually go through that final work of obedience. This work is called faith. It's called trusting his promises for you in Christ by actually living like these promises are true. God works with you to make you like Christ. Now you can go about the process of working 
by trusting. And that brings us to our fourth point, that sanctification continues in part due to our work. And we see that starting in Romans chapter 12. There we go. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now again, the question is, who is Paul commanding to present their bodies as a living sacrifice? That would be me. Who is commanded not to conform to this world? That would be me. Who is commanded to be transformed? That would be me. That would be you. That would be us. Again, there is good news that this transformation is a promise to those who put themselves in a place to receive it. My friends, what I'm wanting to do for you tonight is to give you these passages so that you can go to them and have the promises in your hand to fight the battle of sanctification, to become the men and women of God he created you to be. And if you are continually going to the internet looking at sites that cause you to lust or covet or hate or love the things of this world, then the love of God is not going to be in you. That is First John. That is the entire point of First John. Don't complain to God that he's letting you covet or hate or love the things of this world, if you're not putting yourself in a place, if you're not offering yourself as a living sacrifice to him. And he continues this exact same ideas in the next two passages, Romans 8.13. He says, For if you live according to flesh, you will die. If you continue to live as the world wants you to live, you are going to continue to live as the world decides, as it programs you to live. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And Paul says, or excuse me, not Paul, the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, strive for peace with everyone. And this and is significant. And strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You and I must strive. We must fight. We must agonize so that we can achieve this peace with people and this holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Clearly, the scriptures are at least in part putting a part of this holiness equation in our court. We must do some of the work. Now that was the introduction. You ready for the sermon? Now now we can get back to Ephesians. Now we can see where this holiness we must strive to attain comes from into this picture. And now we can have a good idea of how repentance, confession, prayer, and these other things fit into this process of us becoming the men and women God has created us to be. Again, just by way of reminder, the 
point of last week's message, the last three verses, where he tells us that we were taught in Christ to put off our old self, which belongs to our former manner of life. And that former manner of life, that old self, is corrupt through these lying desires, these lying feelings that remain in us. And we need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit working in us as we engage in this process of becoming like Jesus. And then we put on the new self, which this new self is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so now Paul is going to give us very specific applications. What is it we're supposed to put off? And then what is it that we're supposed to put on? And that is the entire rest of Ephesians 4. So let me read that for us. He says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger clam and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. Paul is giving his own application to uh, Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. And now I have to admit, while I was preparing for my message, I was laughing at myself at this particular point because I'm thinking... Well, that's as clear as day. I mean, what are you going to say to that? If you have a struggle with one of those, there it is. Obey. Find the promise and obey. And remember that God works with you to make you like Jesus. So now you can work by trusting. So all I've done is I've just organized these next, in the following few minutes, I'm just going to organize these. And in your notes, if you want to fill in the blanks, the first one is put off lies and put on the truth. Put off lying. Put off falsehood. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. If you're tempted to lie, don't. Then the second one is put off wrath and put on discipline. He says in verse 26 and 27, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, I do want to say something on this subject. Uh, when I was first married, I thought that what this verse was saying is that we needed to stay up till 3 a.m. dealing with whatever fight my idiocy caused. But Paul is saying here, don't stay up like some 24-year-old seminary student who's an idiot. But when you have a fight, if you can't resolve it at that moment, make sure you kiss your wife. Make sure that you don't let whatever problem you're having get in the way of the relationship. Don't let 
the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it. And if you can't deal with it right then, deal with it later. But make sure that you're still good with whomever it is you're fighting. Because you don't want to let the devil have a foothold in that area. Paul continues in verse 28. The next one is, put off greed and put on giving. It says in verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Verse 29, put off sinful speech and put on edifying words. Get rid of sinful, useless, wasteful speech and put on edifying words. He says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Then verse 30, Put off sin and put on thanks. You know, just for a comment on that, just for a second, when you're thankful to God for what he's given you, it's very hard at the exact same moment to be sinning. Try it sometime. Serious. When next time you're tempted to sin, just start thanking God for what he's given you. And it'll be hard to do both. In fact, I don't think you'll be able to do it. But he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. And lastly, put off self-centeredness and put on forgiveness. Because let's admit, it's really self-centeredness that causes 99.99% of our anger. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand but you and I have been around long enough to know that that's true. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put far away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another. My friends, most of the marriage counseling that I deal with, I tell them this verse, because if people would just start talking to each other like they talk to the people they work with. Oh my goodness, most marriage problems would be dealt with. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. My friends, verse 32 is the solution to all marital problems. But I want you to notice something. In all of these examples of putting off the one and putting on the other, in every single one, the choice remains yours to obey or not. And then, as you notice this choice, I want you to also notice that in these are all an implicit promise. God promises to provide for you so that you can obey. And if you live like these promises are true, then you will become more like Jesus. You will be walking by the Spirit. And it will be true for you that God works with you to make you like Christ. Therefore, you and I can work by trusting. And here, I'll pray again in a minute, but here is the benediction. Paul is offering his own benediction In Romans 15, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.